Hello, I'm Devin Perry, the Executive Director of the Garden State Wine Growers Association. If you'd like to learn more about all that's beautiful and delicious at the wineries in the Garden State, please visit us at NewJerseyWinesAllSpelledOut.com and give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to learn more. Cheers! Welcome to part two in this series with Jack Tomasello. You mentioned designing a grape. That was a brainchild of, uh, of uh, Dr. Larry Coy, who's a grape farmer, but actually he's a medical doctor. That was his real, his, uh, his doctorate's in medicine, not, not uh, uh, culture, but he's a grape farmer. And um, he, he was trying to find a variety that would grow really well in New Jersey from Italy. We were all, we all have, Many of us have, um, you know, um, Italian, we're of Italian descent. So he, he managed, and he would be a very interesting guy for you to talk to because he's, he's really interesting. Or Jim Carroll as well from Bellevue. But they, they uh, had made a trip to, uh, to Italy in search of the perfect grape for New Jersey. This was something that was going to a grape breeder, I believe, and they found something that would work in our soils. And... Uh, so we, you know, I played with it for a couple of years, just to see how it would do, and it did fairly well, and it made, through, made it through our winners, and some of the other guys did as well, and it's just, uh, it's just something different, you know, and, and that's we're always looking for things that are different. Uh, made beautiful wine, and uh, it's an Italian variety that no one's ever grown before. Took a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of time to do this because you have to get the cuttings and they have to be uh, quarantined for a certain amount of time and USDA has to approve them and then uh, they can be transferred to a, uh, a nurseryman. Um, we have a nurseryman in uh, Fredonia, New York, who is now grafting them and making more plants and then we're distributing the plants and we're trying to see what grows and how well they grow in certain uh, farms and different farms are different locations. So, um, that all goes into it. it takes sometimes takes a decade or two <laughs> to do this, but uh, it's fairly it's moving along fairly rapidly, which is good. And uh, so we have about a half acre of this grape, and we're uh, we took our cuttings this year and set them up to that nursery in New York State, and a number of us did, and we're going to have them grafted, and so we can make more plants. But uh, this is uh, this is something that. Um, it was Larry Coya's uh, idea, Jim Carroll had together, I think. And um, it's really going to be a positive thing, I think, going forward. It was this way we have something that we can say is our own, you know. It's from New Jersey. It's from, um, it's from Italy, but it's first grown in the Garden State. So. Uh, and maybe it'll spread to other states. Who knows? That's how these things happen. I don't think people are quite aware of what what extremes we do, go to to raise grapes. Um, we have drip irrigation, what we call trickle irrigation or drip irrigation on all of our farms for the simple fact that if we need the water, it's there. Um, we have nets we apply to our trellis system to cover the plants up to keep the birds out of the vineyard. Um, we're, we're dealing with something now that is... Um, 
in its second year for us here in New Jersey, third year in Pennsylvania, um, an insect called the spotted lanternfly, which people are very, very well aware of now because it's such a pest in the fall of the year. And uh, that's a very serious problem we're dealing with because they do affect, uh, they will kill a grapevine if you get a number of the bond there. I think there's 25 to 30 per plant can, can kill a vine dead. Um, and that's the concern. So we've been, we've been dealing with, with that insect, which is something new that comes along. So you're constantly, constantly changing things up and dealing with issues that come about, and it's all related to Mother Nature. You know, it's, there's no one perfect growing season. <laughs> there's always something up. Uh, there's always a, a, a you know, a, a, a twist in the whole mechanism, you know, that uh, makes it work. So you got to find a uh, screwball that comes in and how to hit it. <laughs> it's, you know, difficult, uh, difficulty. People, people aren't aware of how, how intense it is. It's, uh, Growing grapes is intense. Well, I think the biggest challenge for most people going into wine business is the unknown. One of the things that most of them are not aware of is how difficult it is to grow grapes. And um, I've seen this happen over and over again where people go into wine business and they might know how to make really great wine. And they may have had a lot of experience making really good wine. And somebody brings them beautiful fruit. And if you have beautiful fruit, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to make great wine. Um, I think the hardest part of this whole thing is to bring the great fruit to the vineyard, from the vineyard to the winery. And, um, you know, New Jersey is not a state that... Um, it's not like Napa Valley where you have perfect climate. You know? <laughs> there are certain places in the world that it's perfect, you know, and um, they don't have to farm half as hard as we do, and they make their results are even better because they have the right amount of sun, the right amount of rainfall, the right amount of everything. Um, and so we have to, because we're in a state that's not really a wine state, and most states aren't a wine state, everybody has to adjust to the best of their ability to deal with the climate. And um, so it's, you know, the Virginia has their issues and Oregon has theirs and Washington state has theirs and we have ours. I mean, we all, we all have, um, every state grows grapes and makes wine. I think all but Hawaii, which makes pineapple wine, but <laughs> everybody else makes wine out of grapes. So I can imagine in some states um, have some difficulty. Uh, because I can't imagine growing grapes in south, southern Florida or uh, Idaho or Minnesota. <laughs> I know they have a lot of varieties in Minnesota now that can survive to 40 degrees below zero. Uh, not that I'd want to grow them in New Jersey, but uh, for Minnesota, it must work, you know. There's, there's Scupper 9 that grows in, in northern Florida, and, and it grows out in, uh, in Georgia and places like that, and they make wine out of it. Um, certain varieties do well in certain mar in certain places. Um, some varieties, um, like Chambersan, which we grow here, grows very well out in Ohio as well, and Maryland, and New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. So I think there's there's depending on where you are, um, you know. And I think in southern New Jersey we're pretty lucky because we could grow a lot of really good grapes here. It's more of a challenge 
than it would be if you were in Sonoma or Napa. But we're growing, we're ourselves are growing four of the five Bordeaux reds. We grow everything but Malbec. We grow Cab Sauvignon, Cab Franc, Merlot, um, Petit Verdot, and uh, it's it's working out. I mean, it's it's sometimes it's uh, a, you know it, it could be challenging at times, but uh, we're capable of growing you know things like that. We're growing Chardonnay, and uh, so it's it's uh, it's challenging, but it's it's not impossible. Are you still doing a, a large percentage of your business in sparkling wine? Um, not so much. I, I wish that would come back. I think it will at some point. It um, we do we, we have the ability to do it both ways. We can do the classical French method, which is method champenois, or the Charmette process. Um, there's two different ways of making sparkling. We have the ability to do it both ways. Champagne and well, see, I, I really think it's it's a shame that we lost the word champagne, um, and America used it and stole it from the French for a long, long time. And um, somewhere about fifteen years ago, everybody decided that we better not call it champagne because it's not from the Champagne region, but it is. You know, when people think of champagne, they think of sparkling. And um, I think that may have hurt sales across the board, you know. Um, and uh, in my father's day, they made a lot of champagne, what they called champagne. It was either brut or natural or extra dry or pink champagne or sparkling burgundy. And it was all called champagne. But um, because it's not, you know, today we all are politically correct. <laughs> and I guess because... It's not from the Champagne region of France. We, we should probably not call it Champagne. And uh, but sparkling wines are, you know, they, they, they come up, they go down, they come up, they go down. Um, and, uh, but they're not, they're not, you know, I think they're coming back, but it's a slow, it's a, for at least, at least I see it as being a slow uh, comeback. But I would say in 40 years, I haven't seen it really peak. The only time it peaked, I think it was around, the millennial around 2000, 1999 or so, when everybody was, you know, gearing up for sparkling for New Year's Eve. But to not allow us to call it champagne, I think that hurts sales for, and then I heard it across the board. But uh, the French were very upset that we stole that name some 50, 60, 70 years ago, and they wanted it back, and they wanted it clearly to be only them from that region. And, you know, this, this, and nobody in Europe ever stole the word champagne. Only the Americans did it. The Spaniards always had, uh, always called, um, um, sparkling wine. And, 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 and the Spaniards also make a lot of sparkling wine. Well, um, okay. The classical French method is called method champenois, and that's the original way that, that they do it in France. That uh, allows them to call it champagne. It's where the bottle is in, individually fermented. You have still wine, which is called your cuvee, and you add yeast, um, 
And today we use this, use this really cool thing called micro-encapsulated yeast. But before that, we used to just add yeast, and it would be in the bottle mixed with the cuvee, and there would be uh, dextrose. And you would re-ferment that wine in the bottle under pressure using what's known as a soda cap top. Um, you know when you open a beer bottle, an old-fashioned beer bottle, when you had to open it with an opener? Oh, yeah. Well, that's what you use, but they called it a soda soda crown. And that would, when, when that would ferment in a champagne bottle, um, you would figure out how much dextrose you would need, uh, how dry the wine was to get to about 75 or 85 PSI in the bottle. So that's where you get in your carbonation. So it would re-ferment, but it would re-ferment under pressure in the bottle. Um, and then you would go through a, a process where you'd have to clear the bottle because now you have all this yeast in the bottle. And and they had these, the French, when we had them here too, were these riddling racks where you'd put the champagne on the riddling racks and you would quarter turn them every day until the, the all the sediment went to the bottom of the bottle and it would be upside down. And then you would uh, invert them. Well, you wouldn't invert them. You would you would put them into a, um, a, a neck freezer and you would freeze their neck, the neck of the bottle until it was frozen and the next process is called the scourging where you would um, open the bottle take that soda crown cap off the psi in the bottle would release a certain percentage of the psi would would push out the the sediment and then it would be putting on a dose size machine where um, it would refill that bottle from the space that you lost with another bottle that's on the machine and if you were making a sparkling that was sweeter, you would add a dosage, which is a combination of wine and sugar. It's almost like simple syrup, but it's not made like simple syrup. It's made out of wine. So then you would then you would inject that in, and that's on a, a dosage machine. And then the, when the bottle's completely full to 750 milliliters, it would be removed and put onto a, a machine that corks it and puts a wire hood on. Now that's the classical French method. Now the method. The Charmette process is all done a little bit different where you, you're doing it under pressure, where you're injecting CO2 and you're carbonating it under a pressurized tank using carbonation, uh, CO2 as a carbonator. And the wine, you'd have still wine and all you're doing is carbonating it artificially, well, using, using CO2 and bottling it under pressure. And that's what's commonly used today. Um, Method Chavinois is extremely expensive to do, uh, very labor-intensive. Um, most people that do it are either smaller wineries or very expensive sparkling houses. And in, in Europe, you have, most, most, mostly in, in the European wine industry, either a sparkling house or a winery. There's not too many wineries in, in Europe that actually do wine and champagne. You either either designated to do a wine or champagne but you don't usually do them both like Charmette you know like um, uh, uh, Don Perignon or um, or um, Moet Chandon they're, they're champagne houses you know they don't really get into the wines at all but the process is um, it's it's there we you know <laughs> we do we do both depending on what application we want to do uh, we have the ability to do both because we have the equipment to do both. But um, someday I'd like to see champagne come back. My, during my dad's tenure, I think it was it was a big thing. In the 60s and 50s, 
drank a lot of sparkling, you know. A lot of champagne was consumed. I guess in the movies, when you watch the movies, they drank a lot of champagne, you know. And uh, somewhere along the line, it, it kind of lost its luster. and It's coming back slowly, you know. Yeah, they always had those old ridiculous champagne glasses, not the not the newfangled flutes. It was always the sort of Audrey Hepburn style, you know. In, in- you know, they're, and they're they're crowning them differently now. Um, you know, you, today you're actually getting you can open get a bottle of sparkling wine that does have that soda crown top, you know, where you just pop it up in like you would a bottle of beer, an old fashioned bottle of beer. Um, and they're getting, you know, because corks are so expensive and champagne corks and wire hoods are expensive. So, you know, you're seeing a lot of these um, smaller ones that are doing sparklings using a crown um, cap uh, as opposed to a champagne cork and a wire. Thanks again for tuning in. And don't forget to subscribe anywhere you listen.